0: The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Today we're in Dalit uh, uh, verses 25 to 32. Uh, 25 to 32. While you're turning there, uh, a lot of you may be familiar with this. Uh, what is the goal in life? Well, we were taught early that the goal in life was to accumulate the most money. This is what one can learn from reading the obituary of Reuben Clammer. Some of you know the name? Anybody that ring a bell? Uh, he was the guy who created the board game, The Game of Life. The Game of Life, he died September 14th, 2021, at the age of 99. When the game of life was introduced in 1960, I wasn't born yet. Some of you were. I know a lot of you were. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Come on. In the 1960s, the purpose of the game was to earn the most wealth. The way you got there was simple enough. You, go, you went to college, you got a job, you bought insurance, and you saved for retirement. That was indicative of what sold in that era, a former Hasbro VP said. Over time, designers realized that the game didn't reflect consumers' changing views of life goals. So they gave it a big update in 2007, allowing players to score points for virtuous deeds like saving an endangered species, opening a health food chain, and recycling. And instead of starting the game at point A and finishing at point Z, there was no fixed path. You decide how you want to spend your time. One question that popped up is... If the popular view of what mattered in life changed so much in less than 50 years, who's to say it won't shift again in the next 50 years? How will, how will you win life in 2057? But as Jill Lepore wrote in The New Yorker, the redesigned teams always had a hard time addressing the fundamental criticism of the game that the only way to reward a player for virtuous acts was money. Save the endangered species, collect 200000 Solution to pollution, 250000 Open a health food chain, $100,000. And so the company's 2007 overhaul, the game of life twists and turns, was almost existential. Instead of putting players on a fixed path, it provided multiple ways to start out in life but nowhere to finish. This is actually the game's selling point. It has no goal. Interesting how this is how they ended up. Mrs. Lepore, she wrote, life is aimless. Because, family, we've been talking about this, because life without God is meaningless. And that's all we're seeing. We're seeing this unfolding happening today, more and more so every single day, where more and more people are coming to the realization that there is no point in life. Life just has no meaning. Life is essentially what you make of it. Man, talk about existentialism just really coming to full bloom. But for Christians today, our life is not aimless. We know that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. life. In Christ, we have all that we need for life and godliness. So we got all we need for the life that Christ gives and that Christ provides for. But did you know that Christ does not give us all we need for a life that we decide terms, or a life that the world entices us with? So what life are we leading today? What life, what path are we on? The life we found in Christ, the life or the life that we designed for ourselves, or the life that the world promises to give and that we're fighting and yearning hard to achieve. This is why there is so much confusion in why we find ourselves in difficult positions, in difficult circumstances. We find ourselves depressed, we're in despair, and we find ourselves in the dust. We got problems, and we come to the conclusion that there's nothing we can do about it. We got issues, and there is nothing we can even say about it. There are problems. We are at a loss for words. And then we come to the realization that we only talk to God when we need a favor. Hmm. Even when everything is going pretty good for us, though, even when it's going pretty good, there is always that deep inner struggle. That wrestling match that always uh, takes place between us, our spirits, and the powers and principalities and rulers of this world. But sometimes we can find ourselves in deep darkness, in deep suffering, deep sorrow. Lots happening, and we come to the conclusion, man, there's nothing we can do about it. We unrest in despair, So many times what we feel is that we don't know where we're going and we don't even uh, know, I mean, even if we did know where we were going, we don't know how to get there. We don't know why we are even here and what we're supposed to be doing. So then what, Shane? What's, What's the answer? What's the purpose? What is the meaning in life? What is the purpose of life? And how do we get it? The question of the day. So let's take a look. Psalm 119 verses 25 to 32. Psalm 119, 25 to 32. I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. You know what? That's all we're going to get to today. We're going to do part two of this. Uh, I just feel like if I rush through this, I'm going to shortchange you guys. And I don't want to do that. So why don't we just stop there? (laughs) because there will be a part two. Uh, But that's as far as I'm gonna get today. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And God, we pray that it continues to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, we thank you for the illumination and the revelation that you continue to give us. And I pray that you continue to open up our hearts and minds to see the beauty that is your word. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So, if you're taking notes today, uh, the first thing we're going to look at is what it means for the psalmist to say that he is in the dust. Okay? The second thing we're going to look at is. Um, How, when we are in the dust, we are revived by Christ. And finally, we'll see the purpose of life is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Our thesis statement today is this. Again, the thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to become confused with the purpose of life, it is the truth of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see that the purpose of life is found in Christ and in Christ alone. I know I say that all every week, but we got to understand why. In Christ, and in Christ alone. That's one of the things and the issues that we face in our culture today. We all see that Christ is important, but we don't think that Christ is enough. And that's why we run into the problems that we have today. But first off, let's look at point number one, in the dust. Another one's in the dust. That's, that's not what the words say, but, you know, I, I just, every time I read that part, you know, in the dust, and I always think another one's in the dust. Um, anyway, the very first verse of this Dalit section of the Psalms, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, uh, the section of the Psalm, we see a vivid description of the current state of our psalmist, which we don't have 100% consensus as to whether it's David. Okay, so because of that, I don't want to say it. I'll just say psalmist, okay? But um, for the most part, if you ask me who wrote it, I would say David. But, you know, we just want to try to be as precise as possible. Some of your translations may say something closer to my soul cleaves to the dust. So uh, my translation says I lie in the dust. But some of your translations will be a little bit more descriptive. That's my soul cleaves, holds on to the dust. Maybe we could say, I am, so, I am in so much sorrow that I feel like I'm about to die. Now, how would you get that from, you know, clinging to the dust? Well, in that time period, when there were major uh, suffering events or instances where there was a lot of grief, all of that stuff, one of the common things for people to do was to cover their head with dust. That was a common thing. That's what they did. When there was a lot of grief, a lot of anguish, that's what they did. Job chapter 2 verse 12. Job chapter 2 verse 12. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. That's the picture uh, that we're seeing being uh, developed here in Psalm 119. Psalm 23 verse 15, Psalm 22 verse 15, sorry, Psalm 22 15. My strength has dried up like, a sun ba- like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. So a lot of times when it comes to sorrow and grief that's so much so that you feel like you're going to die, the image that's given is dust being laid laid in dust, being covered with dust, covering our heads with dust. So that's the idea of what he's saying that I lie in the dust. In this context, we find that the psalmist is saying that he has no more hope for this life anymore. Now, that's not an uncommon feeling that we have today. I cannot tell you how many times I've had conversations with people that are in so much grief, so much suffering, maybe not a lot of suffering, but you know, let's just say it's a lot of suffering, and they always say, Shane, I don't know how much longer I can take this. I feel like I'm going to die, right? You've heard that before. Some of you may have said that before. That's kind of the idea that we have here. He's, he is in this place, place where there's just no hope. He has no hope in life anymore. Nothing matters. Nothing does anything to make life better. The only thing that I have to hold on to is dust. That's all I've got. So, a picture of real grief, a picture of real uh, sorrow. And so the important thing for us to see with this and why I bring it up is because the psalmist obviously is a servant of God, right? If it's David, definitely a servant of God and not just any servant of God but a servant of God whose heart is after the heart of God and a man who has real faith and a man who has a real passion to serve God with everything that he has. He is a servant of God, not only that, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes a psalm that's declared to be the very words of God. So what is the important thing for us to see? Here we have a servant of God whose heart and devotion is to the Lord and to his words, and he actually finds himself in so much agony, so much suffering that all he has to cling to is dust. What does that mean, Shane? It means family. It doesn't matter if you are a servant of God. Sometimes God is going to allow us to experience the worst kinds of anguish and the worst kinds of suffering. It's important for us to get this. I think that a lot of times we get confused with this idea, and it's probably because of all the, the, the crazy teaching that's going on. I mean, it, just, it seems like it's just getting crazier. You know, as, as, as I, as the deeper, I, I don't even have to go deep anymore to find this stuff. It's just everywhere. Uh, be, being involved in the social media outreach, I see a lot of stuff. I hear a lot of preachers. I hear a lot of people on, on this stuff saying a lot of things. Did you know that I actually heard a very, very famous preacher on a, on a stream that actually challenged the people in this congregation and the people watching him on TV to try Jesus for 60 days? I, This is just bizarre to me. Like, you know how they do that, like the money-back guarantee? Hey, you know, try it for 30 days. If you're not completely satisfied, we'll give you a 100% money-back guarantee. It it, it was like that. It was like watching this going, did he actually just say, try Jesus for 60 days and see if he works out for you? <laughs> uh, I was. Uh, it, it was. It was relatively disturbing because. Um, hey, Jack, can you turn that off? <laughs> you know who the person was—the guy who just got tossed out of the SBC. His name is Rick Warren, and it it all just it made complete sense to me after he said that as to how he sees Christ and how he views Christianity. We need to pay we need to pray for that brother, uh, hopefully, brother we need to pray for him uh, because Jesus is not a product. Jesus is not a a way of life he is the way of life the, the whole time I'm like going this is it's not optional just FYI in case you're wondering today, Jesus is not Optional. It's not a, he's not an option. This is. you got a choice of seven or eight different gods. Jesus is one of them. There's no options to this. There's nothing to say. Hey, try Jesus for, for 30 days and see if it works out for you. It's like me saying to you, hey, why don't you guys try breathing air for 30 days and see if that works out for you. If it doesn't work out for you, then maybe you can try breathing water. Try breathing Coke, a cola. I walked into that one, didn't I? (laughs) Coke, a cola. (laughs) Try breathing baking soda. But you know what? I think air is probably your best option. So maybe try breathing air and see if that works out for you. That's what you're saying when you're telling people to To try Jesus. There is no trying Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Not just he is the way. Really bizarre. So you start to see some of these kinds of things. And it's almost like, well, okay, fine. You're going to try. Okay, Jackie, sorry. You're going to try Jesus. So what is the purpose, then, of Christianity? When you talk and stuff like that, you're showing that Christianity is not a life and death situation, that it's probably going to provide a better life of comfort and luxury and prosperity for you, right? Because that's how you're going to judge it. Let's not not lie to ourselves. When somebody says, hey, try Jesus for 60 days, see if it works out for you. Well, how are you going to make that judgment? Right? Am I happier? Do I have more money? Am I richer? Do I have a better relationship with my spouse? You know, are my kids starting to behave better? You know, you're looking at that way. So you're judging it, judging Christ as to whether or not he's going to provide a better life for you. There's no way you're going to be, I'm I'm going to get up here and I'm going to say, hey, you know what? I want you guys to try Jesus for 60 days and hopefully you'll be in more misery than you are now. (laughs) Right? What if I were to say that? Any takers? Try Jesus for 30 days. Well, here's the issue, right? Here's the reality of Christianity. If I say, hey, accept Christ into your life, try Jesus, and I guarantee your life is going to be more miserable than it was. Wow, Shane, you were right. Things are a lot harder. Things are different. Now, what if I were to say, try Jesus and see if all of your sins are washed by the blood of Christ? because nothing else in this universe will be able to do that. You see? But see, the, th- the thing is, is that we're starting to look at Christianity as a, as a better way. You know, it, that's, that's how it's being pushed now. Okay, you've tried the world. The world has let you down. Try Jesus, and I guarantee that your life will be better. Now again, that's not, I'm not discounting the fact that your life is going to be better Okay, it's just not going to be better in the way that you might think. Okay, so watch this. Because the question is, and and this is what makes it so vivid and so colorful, servant of God, David probably, saying that he's in a situation where he's in so much anguish and so much sorrow that the only thing that he has to hold on to is the dust of the earth. That's suffering. That's as bad as it gets. So what's the question here? Or what, what's the idea here? The idea is, let us not think that we are any different. Are we going to suffer as Christians? Yes. Is there going to be suffering? Yes. Oh man, Shane, I don't know about that, man. I listened to preachers all week this week and they said that we were going to have no suffering. Matter of fact, there's not going to be any judgment and nobody's going to hell. That's probably what you heard this week. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. John chapter 16, verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will... Some translations, I kind of wonder if it's actually saying might. But my translation says, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Psalm thirty-four, nineteen. Psalm thirty-four, nineteen. The very the famous Psalm thirty-four, nineteen. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them him out of them all. First Peter chapter two, uh, chapter four, verses twelve to nineteen. First Peter chapter four, verses twelve to nineteen. Any time. I am really, really, really struggling and I'm really having a difficult time with the sufferings that I've gone through personally. I always go here because this is super important for us to get, okay? Super important. I'm hoping that if you guys have times of struggle and trials and tribulations and sufferings that you guys will will come here. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Do you hear what he's saying here? You guys are going through fiery trials, not just trials, not just tribulations, not just fiery trials. Don't be surprised when you're going through these things as if something strange were happening to you. As Christians, this is just the way life is. This is just how it is. Trials, tribulations, suffering, all of those things. That's just life. When you should be surprised is when you're not having fiery trials. Hello? When it's not happening, that's when you should be surprised. Be like, wow, I actually went through a whole week without any trials and sufferings. Wow, that's surprising. Do you guys see that? I, I need us to see this. And not just, I hope you're not just looking at me and going, oh, Shane, you know, that young brother up there, you know, he's, he's, he believes in stuff. Now hear, hear what the word of God is saying. As if something strange were happening to you. Instead, Be very glad for these trials, the suffering, the things that you're going through, these trials make you partners, koinonia, partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. If you are insulted, have you all been insulted before? Okay, now, of course, if you asked for it, it doesn't count. If you ask for it, it doesn't count, all right? So don't be thinking about all the times people insulted you. If you you know, you know, cut somebody off on I-25, then you probably deserved it, okay? If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer... However, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs, just, just in case you were wondering, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Now, we all look at, we all have the ideas of what we think privilege is. This is what God is telling us. You know what a privilege is for you today? For you to be privileged, God is saying, you, you, you want privilege? Suffer for the name of Christ. And there, that is a privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. Wait a minute. I thought God wasn't going to judge his household. Yeah. Yeah. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. Take joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind. For the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature, complete, and not lacking in anything. Now, parents, think, what if there was something you could do to your child, may not feel so good to them, but you knew that when it was done, they would be more mature, they would be more complete, and they would be not lacking in anything? Would you do it? Come on, parents. Some of you guys are looking at me like, uh, uh. Okay, let me answer for you. Yes! You want your kids to be mature, you want your kids to be complete, and you want your kids to be not lacking in anything, right? That's what God wants for us. So, of course, we're going to be going through trials. Because every single trial and every single time of suffering that you experience, it develops perseverance in you and you become more mature, you become more complete, and not lacking in anything. How awesome is that? How amazing is that? That we get to that place. So we should be glad. So if we get to get something today it's in fact that if you are a Christian, know that hardship and suffering is just part of the normal Christian life. It just happens. It's just what we do. Oh, man, you become a Christian, man, you suffer. That's just what we do. You know, it's just like, hey, dogs bark. Yeah, why? Because that's what dogs do. Christians endure suffering. Do you know why? Because that's what Christians do hoping that you you we're getting this. It's really important for us to see this. When trials and difficulty hits, we should not be surprised by it. When we suffer, we become partners with Christ. We become blessed. It is a privilege. He will never fail us. But Shane, you don't understand. When I became a Christian, I want God to bless me. I want to be blessed by the Lord. Do you really want to be blessed? Because Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12 describes it, doesn't it? Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's not get it twisted, family. This is a reality for us. It's a reality. It's real, and so many of us experience it. And sometimes, family, it can be so bad that you could just, you would say, hey, you know what? There's no way. I cannot get through this. I cannot do this on my own. And so you know how people will do that? They use that scripture that, that they use that scripture falsely. (laughs) God will not give us more than we can handle. No, no, no. God will not allow us to be tempted right? We got to get that scripture right that never says anything about how God will never give us more than we can handle. Even the disciples talked about persecution and suffering and trials that they went through. Even the disciples talked about that and they even said that like, you know, this is just to the point where it was more than we could handle. No, no. God always gives us things that's more than we can handle. And God knows that the things that he causes us to suffer and that causes us to overcome, all of these, things, God knows that it's more than us, than more than we can handle. He knows that. He always does that. Do you know why he does that? Because he never intended, this is not a weak point. I'm just doing this. This is a good point. Okay, I won't, I'm not going to pound it. I don't want you to get this twisted. He never expects us to go through these things alone. We're never supposed to go through this stuff alone. God always says, this is why we have the Holy Spirit, that by the power of the Spirit, we can do this because this is how we show the world that we're truly disciples. Oh, there's something on my face. Uh, No. Or do I? I never know when you guys do stuff like that. Anyway, okay, I think I'm okay. All right, don't let me be on camera with anything hanging out there, you know. I'm gonna be mad at y'all. All right, I look good? Okay, all right, good. He never expects us to do this on our own. To this end, we labor struggling with all of his energy working powerfully within us. Because that's the common thing that's supposed to happen, where people from the world are supposed to come up to you and be like, man, you are going through some serious stuff here, Shane. How are you getting through this? And our response is, because it's not by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Ooh, it's good. All right, so let's not get this twisted. So there is hope for us when we experience this because Christ has come to give us life and life more abundant. Point number two, revival. He's come to revive us. So what's being communicated here is an answer. What is the answer to feeling like you're dead but yet you're still alive, because really that's that's what happened. That's the language we use. We use a language that we're, we're to the point of death. So just I'm just dead already, Shane. It's just suffering is just so bad. But yet we're still alive. We're still breathing. So what's the answer to that? Because it's not life. Because we're dead. Because we're not really dead. So the only way to get life, or to to uh, to experience life when we feel like death, but we're still living. The answer is, is we have to have more life. That's why it's not just Christ is coming to give us life, but he's coming to give us life more abundant. We need more life. Life And the only way to get this is from Christ and Christ alone. The only one is the one who made us and the one to give us more if we need more is Christ who comes to give us life and life more abundant. So how can the world, here's the issue, how can the world give us more when they actually need Christ to give more? See, this is the insanity when we put our hope and our trust in the world, when we put our hope and trust in the things of the world, when we put our hope and trust in money, in popularity, in, in, uh, in politics, in our government, when we put our trust and our hope in other people, when we do all of this kind of stuff, this is why we're constantly let down, right? It's like, here's an individual who's standing here who has nothing, I'm an individual who has nothing. I'm looking at this person and this person has nothing. And yet this person is trying to tell me that he can give me things that will make me happy. And he does this because he's going to give me things. But I'm looking at him and he doesn't have anything. We both need somebody who actually has something to give us something in order for me to give back. You see? This is the point I'm trying to say. The world promises that it can give us a better life, but the world needs God to give it life before it can give us life. So why are we clinging to the dust of the earth? The dust of the earth is for the serpent to slither on, not for children of God. Wow. Why are we trusting and hoping in dust? All of these things that's happening in this world, all the people that you see out there, you think that these people are living life, but if they don't have Christ, all they're clinging to is dust. That's all it is. Now, come on, remember I told you, they asked you know, Rockefeller, they were like, man, you got a lot of money, man. And he was just like, yeah, I know, I do. How much do you need before you say you have enough? And remember what his answer was? Just a little more. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. And remember the story I told you about that lady who got married to a very, very, very wealthy guy and literally got to the place where she had everything she wanted. And as she's looking at the Mediterranean Sea, because it's in the backyard of her house with 20-foot glass walls staring out into the ocean with everything that she wants. Looking at the helicopter pad and all of her different Bentleys that she drives and the limo driver over here and all the stuff that she has. She has everything that she could ever want. And that was her goal in life was to achieve and get everything that she ever wanted and the, her assistant said she looked out, and the last words she heard the assistant said she heard her say was, Is this all that life has to offer? And that light, that night she took her life. It's just dust. And all of these people are just showing us, it's being proven, family, it does not make us happy. In the end, we come to the conclusion. Just like Solomon did in the end. It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's just chasing the wind. And when you actually catch some of the wind, you look at it and there's nothing there. There's nothing, family. Our only answer is Christ. Christ promised us that through him we would have life and life more abundant. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 to 12. 1 John 5, 11 to 12. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. First, or John 1, 4, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. John 6, 63, John 6, 63, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have have life more abundantly. The life we need is the life that Christ provides. And there is continued confusion because of sin and confusion and deception because we are dead in our sin. Uh, The great uh, Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon writes, truly this is wisdom. Fools hunger for food and yet lose life, but the wise know that life is more than food. It is a common sin of unbelievers to yearn for riches and neglect the soul, while the prudent course of a believer is to seek true riches in an increase of life. And yet we get confused because we're continually deceived by the pattern and promises of the world. So we either live life believing that the life that Christ gives and provides is not the life. We don't need that life. Or we believe that the life Christ gives is not enough and we need more. Trying to live life without God is trying to live life without meaning. You can't have meaning in this life without God. You just can't. You can't have meaning in this life without Christ. Without God, it's impossible to make sense of anything. This is why I say this is the number one proof that I give to every single person when they say, God Shane, you gotta prove to me God exists. Prove to me that God exists. And my my answer is always the same. Because without God, you can't make sense of anything. I mean just think about something so simple like, you know, two plus two equals four. You say two plus two equals four. Let's say there is no God and God doesn't exist. I say two plus two equals five. You say, but well, you're wrong. My response is I think you're wrong. No, no, no. It's clear. Two plus two equals four. I think it's five. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna say to that person? Well, that's it's wrong, so you're lying. Well, according to you, I'm lying. But according to me, I'm telling the truth. You call that four, I call that five. That's just how I roll. But Shane, we can count. Yeah, you can absolutely count, but you can't account for your counting. If there's eight things there, you say, hey, there's eight things there. (laughs) I say there's nine. What are you going to do about it? You can't do anything about it. Nothing makes sense. Nothing has any meaning unless God is there. You can't, nothing, nothing, no morality. If somebody punches you in the head and they say they're right, you say they're wrong, it's just you, your word against theirs. He says no, you say yes. The last time I checked, minus one plus one equals zero. Meaningless, nothing. The only reason why these things matter in life is because of God. That's why. There isn't anything. You can't have this. And if you're going to say that God is perfect, that God is all-powerful, that God is all-knowing, if Christ has done everything, all he's accomplished it all, he's able to do all, God is able to do everything that we could ever ask or imagine. You say that, you believe that, then you've got to believe that Christ is sufficient and if all you have is Christ, you have more than enough that what you need to live this life. So don't let the world tell us that Christ is important, but he's not all you need. If all you have is Christ, you have more than all you need. Our culture is constantly deceiving us into thinking that it, it's okay to have your cake and eat it too. When it comes to Christianity, that is not true. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Christianity is not having your cake and eating it too. To to live life anywhere you want and and you don't have to worry because God is a God of love and he's not going to punish you. He's not going to, there's not going to be any judgment. There's not going to be any consequences for the things that you do. So go get as much luxury and pleasure from this world as you want. You're still going to go to heaven and you're still going to live for eternity and eternal bliss. Christianity is not having your cake and eating it too. (laughs) Christianity would probably more like you made your bed. Now you got to lie in it. The world teaches that it's possible to have two masters. You can serve God and you can serve money. Christ was not right when he said that. Live life the way you want, and when it's all done, don't worry about condemnation, because there's no condemnation. God is love. There's no judgment. All throughout biblical history, we see the declaration of judgment, and there were always those who came in to say that judgment is not coming, or if it is coming, it's not going to include us, and judgment always came, and judgment was always terrible. There is no other way. The scriptures make it clear that And the scriptures declare that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. So what is the goal in life? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Period. Conclusion after all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. And how can we accomplish this? Through Christ by the power of His Spirit all of this is in accordance to the word of God. And it's sin that causes us to be confused, to believe what is intended to deceive. I like that. To believe what is intended to deceive. It is the reality of sin that causes us to think that we can find meaning and fulfillment in anything other than Christ. All we're doing is looking for love in all the wrong places. And don't think that anyone is exempt from this because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, no, not one. We're all by nature children of wrath. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. We are all dead in our sins. Clearly, all we got to do is look at life. And we see we are all by nature wired to rebel against God and to oppose our neighbor. We are all by nature destined to cling to the dust of the earth, deceived into believing that dust is all that we have and all that we need. We believe this because we're dead in our sins, but it doesn't have to be this way. We can be free because salvation is here, because Jesus came to bring life and life more abundant. There is salvation for us today. According to God's word, it says, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Jesus came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the promises continue. According to his word, it declares that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All of these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God and that by believing you will have life in his name. In Christ, there is life and life more abundant. It's only the, it is only the life he gives that will cause us to rise above the dust of the earth that was intended for the devil himself. The life he gives is the life much more. And now the life we live is worth dying for. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www dot cbc dot com